Hey, I want to welcome you all here today, especially those of you that are visiting. Welcome uh, to those of you that are over in the, uh, the venue. Blessings on all of you. And we have lots of people that listen online, and we're glad you're, you're listening and on the radio and all that kind of stuff. Um, before I get into this, um, there's a, a, one of our saints. He was 104 years old. 104. His name was Ken Tuttle. He's sit right down here. And last, um, last week, he went to go be with Jesus, and um, an incredible man. He wrote, actually, some of the, the hymns that are in the hymnal. He had walked with Jesus a long, he'd walked with Jesus way longer than I've been alive. And 104, still came to church. And it was very humbling because he'd come in, and he'd sit right there, care right where you're at. And he immediately fall asleep. <laughs> he'd, he'd sing the songs and all that. As soon as I started preaching, it was like, dude, I, I've, heard all, I've heard every sermon I could ever hear, man. You're just some young whippersnapper. I've heard that sermon over and over again, man. What are, you and your Hawaiian shirts, man. You guys, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to nap. Um, his... Um, <laughs> His homegoing celebration will be tomorrow in here. And, um, you know, if you knew him, man, come and celebrate an incredible life. Also want to tell you that as soon as this gathering's over with, whether you're over in the venue or not, uh, come over to the uh, choir room. I'm going to have a little time. Uh, we're, we're Gordon and I, Pastor Gordon and I are going to do, do another trip to Israel. It was in your program. We're going to leave, really, it's a year from this weekend, October 7th. And Gordon and I and our spouses are going to lead another trip, and maybe, uh, maybe you'd like to be a part of that. And we'd love to have you, you come and to the meeting, you know, answer some questions, get some information or whatever. And uh, believe it or not, if you include last night and today after the first gathering, the, the, the bus is already uh, two-thirds filled. I mean, there's, there's lots of people, so you want to get over and, and hear about it, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. Coming to the meeting doesn't mean you're going, but at least you can gather some data and stuff. So, so come and check it out, and we'd love to have you be a part of that. Well, I want you to take your program, okay, and uh, open it up, and you're going to see uh, uh, a little scale at the top of it, you know, a scale from 1 to, to 10. And this is how I want to begin. Even those of you who don't like, you know, writing anything or looking at your program, come on, pull that thing out. I want everybody to at least look at the thing, all right? And... Uh, I want you to, on a scale from one to 10, what, what number would you give yourself as it relates to balance in your life? You know, your family life, your job life, uh, your spiritual life, your recreational life, your educational life, uh, uh, it could be your dating life or whatever. Okay, a one or a two would be that your, your life is just totally out of whack. I mean, just, just, there's just no balance in your life. Maybe a four, five, or six would be that you have you know, some, some balance. I mean, maybe one week's better than another. Maybe an eight or a nine would be that you've got all these areas of your life pretty much under control, okay? You've got good balance in all of these areas. Okay, now, now, now this side of heaven, obviously, none of us are going to have perfect balance all the time. There are going to be times when, when all of us get out of whack or w whatever the word would be. But I want you to kind of have that thought in your mind. You know, the Bible says that we're to be doers of the word, not just people who come and, and hear things and sing songs or whatever. I want you to be a doer, and so I want your mind engaged in this thing 
so that you can kind of track with us and just see what the Holy Spirit would, would, would do in your life. Now, why is this important? It's important because one of the things that will goof up the, the life that Jesus came to give you is when your life is, is out, of, out of balance. In fact, let me go on on a limb here and say this. I think that probably what I'm going to talk about here today is the greatest sin of the people of Big Valley Grace. This, in my opinion, as I look at all the emails that come in and I look at text messages and phone calls and I hear about all the different counseling appointments and all the stuff that goes on, if I were to boil it all down, I think this might be the number one sin in terms of us as a church family. You're not, you're not axe murderers, you know, that, that's not our problem. We're not terrorists or, 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 or things like, like that. But I think this idea of just our schedules being out of whack is the number one sin of, 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 our, of our church. Jesus said this in, in John chapter 10. He said that the thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy. Let me put it in another way. The, the thief's purpose, the, the devil's purpose, the demon's purpose, the, the false teacher's purpose, the false shepherd's purpose is to somehow get your life out of balance. Because if he can get your life out of balance, man, that's just, that's just a great way to, to steal and kill and destroy this life that Jesus came to give you. Jesus said, my purpose is way different. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. And because I think, in my opinion, as the pastor of this church, probably the greatest sin in this church is our lives are out of balance, the chances are great that a lot of us aren't experiencing the life that Jesus came to give us. Yeah, someday we're going to go to heaven, and when we get there, you know, we're going to experience this abundant life, this rich and satisfying life at a, at a whole other level, you know. But when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ came into your life, invaded your life, he, man, he's got this life plan for you that's unbelievable. But when you're out of balance, wow, things just kind of go, go, go crazy. Now, the, the principle of balance is one of those laws that God established the universe on. Every nook and cranny of the universe is built on this principle of, of balance or, or equilibrium. For instance, the earth is in perfect balance because if it wasn't, as it rotated you know, on its axis, we, we, we would all be vibrating. It, it, it'd, be a, it'd be a bad gig. The earth is tilted at just just right on its axis, if it were tilted just a few degrees one way or another, we'd either burn up by the sun or we'd, you know, freeze up because we've pulled away from the sun. The, the earth is perfectly balanced. Listen to what God said through the great prophet Isaiah. God said, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dusts of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. You see, there's this idea that, that the God who created everything created perfect balance in it all. When I was a kid, I went and saw the Harlem Globetrotters play basketball. You know, maybe you, you saw them. And there was always a moment where they did this uh, funny bit. They'd go into the crowd and pick out some loser, you know, and that guy would come down to the free throw line and and then they'd hand him a ball and they'd say, you know, if you make this shot, we'll give you, you know, hundred bucks or give you your money back at the show or whatever it was. And the guy would take the ball and he'd get all set up and he'd shoot. 
Well, what he didn't know was the ball looked round, but it was not balanced. It was weighted at one end, and so it would go, you know, and it hit the ground and just kind of wobble around because it wasn't balanced. The likelihood of that ball going in that basket was slim because the ball would not rotate perfectly. The earth rotates perfectly because it's in, it's in balance, you see. Nature is a system of ecosystems that live in balance. God has set up a, this thing, the food chain, with plants and animals in harmony with each other. We have no idea just how finely tuned the world really is. The human body is built on the principle of balance. You have a circulatory system, you have a respiratory system, you have a central nervous system, you have a di digestive system, you got a skeletal system, and on and on and on, and your body has these nine systems that are in balance with one another. And when any one of them gets out of whack, they get out of balance, you know what we call that? Disease. And so when you go see the doctor, the whole point is, is that somehow you're going to put all these systems in balance with one another, and then you have you know, uh, health. Architecture is built on this whole idea of the principle of balancing, you know, stress loads because an imbalanced building will collapse, an imbalanced bridge will, will fall apart. And the same thing is true with our lives as, as believers. If our lives aren't balanced, it'll collapse. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He said, be sure that everything is done properly and in order. The God that we serve is a God of order. He's established order everywhere, right? There's order in the church. There's order in your home. There's order in the universe, you know. There's order in nature. There's order at Taco Bell, man. I mean, anywhere you go, you got to have some sort of structure, some sort of order, some sort of balance, if, if, if you will. Here's the bottom line. When your life is out of, out of balance... You're just not in God's will. When there's not order in, in your life, it, it's not God's will. So today we're going to look at seven principles of balance, okay, from, from God's word. And I think today could be a great day for some of you. You know, uh, you gave your life to Jesus, you loved the Lord, but you're not experiencing this great, incredible life that he came to give you. And here we got this world out there that's lost. <laughs> and what do they see when they look at your life? See, the bummer is, is when the lost world looks at us believers and they don't see this, us, you know, rejoicing. They don't see us living this incredible life. And they think, well, what good did your God do? Look at you, you're miserable. That just shouldn't be the case. I think this is going to be a great day for some of you. Number one, principle number one. You want balance in your life, you've got to build your life around Jesus Christ. Okay, you've got to build your life around Jesus Christ. And you miss this one and everything else I'm going to talk about doesn't, doesn't matter. you got to build your life around Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and God will give you everything you need. God will take care of all your needs if you seek him, if you build your life on him above all else. Now, the Bible is filled with all kinds of great information. 
information on, you know, how to have a good marriage, information if you're single, how to live holy, you know, if you're, you know, how to, how to be a good parent, you know, there's great information in here on how to handle your finances. The, the scriptures are filled with incredible information on how to, how, how to live, right? But Jesus, okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, then, you know, he said right here, the best thing you can do Seek God's kingdom above all else. Build your life on him. It's the greatest thing you can do with your life. There's nothing greater. You ought to underline those three words in your notes or your Bible or whatever, above all else. Now, what does it mean, above all else? Let me give you a thought here. Okay? I'll give you two different ways of thinking about it. Number one, you can think of it in terms of ranking of the priorities of your life. And I talked about that a couple weeks ago, Priorities. And let me just boil it down for you. Jesus, you build your life on Jesus. That's your first priority is Jesus, then others, and then yourself. That, that, that's the priority is Jesus above all else. Then others, you know, your spouse, your kids, your grandkids, your parents, your friends, whoever those people might be, and then you. And when you've got that order, Jesus, others, and yourself, you know what you got? You got a life of joy is what you got. But what happens is, and it happens to believers a lot, it's happened to me, is others can become, you know, the most important thing. You know, I hear terms like this all the time. You know, my kids are my life. Now, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, that's okay, I get it. But for Christians, that's just, that's blasphemous almost. Your kids aren't to be your life. Jesus is to be your life. Jesus is the one who's supposed to be the number one thing in your life. You build your life on Jesus, and then you praise God for your kids or your spouse or whatever all those things might be. And what happens too often, you know, others become more important, or then you, or you just get to the point where you just, you know, you are what matters. And that thing doesn't spell joy anymore, it's yoige. You know, you're number one. Yeah, I'm number one. And all you care about is you, and you build your life on you, and your needs, and your desires, and all that. And that's just, a, that's just, that's crummy. You'll never experience the life that Jesus has for you. If you're putting others, your kids, your grandkids before Jesus. You'll never experience that life that Jesus has for you. If you're putting yourself there, you gotta, you gotta build your life on Jesus Christ, you see. Now, let me give you a, 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 a thought here. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 22. He said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love the Lord your, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. We talk about this verse a lot here at Big Valley Grace, and here's why. <laughs> uh, if the greatest thing you can do is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. If Jesus said, look, you take all the great prophets of the scripture, of the Bible, take all the commands that are in the Bible and you were to boil it all down. The greatest thing you could do with your life is, to use my terminology, is build your life on Jesus Christ. Well, we ought to talk about it a lot. This verse ought to be important to every single believer. Jesus said the greatest thing you could do, here it is, is you love God above all else 
You build your life on God. That's what you do. That's the greatest thing that you can do with your life. Jesus summarizes the whole Bible here. Now let me give you another way that you, 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 could, you could see this whole idea of building your life uh, on, on Christ. It's by seeing that Jesus is the hub of your life. Forget, you know, Jesus, others, yourself. Imagine Jesus is the hub of your life. Or see Jesus at the center of your life. Saying it, I heard it. Man, I'm sitting up here with my wife. Man, you guys sound great. Oh, Christ, be the center of my life. Man, it's so easy to sing. Singing truth is easy. <laughs> Sitting here listening to truth is easy, isn't it? It's actually doing it where all of a sudden, wow, that's a, that's a whole other gig. But when you put God above all else, imagine him at the center of your life because whatever's at the center of your life controls your life. Whatever's at the center of your life powers your life. So if you put Jesus Christ at the center of your life, he can direct it, he can influence it, he can empower it, he can give stability to all the rest of the spokes of your life, your educational life, your career life, whatever all those things might be. See, Jesus doesn't want to be one of the spokes. He wants to be the hub because this is what matters. That's what it means to put Jesus above all else. That's what it means to build your life on, on, on Jesus, you see. If you have a solid center, you're going to have a solid life. But if you've got a weak, flimsy center, you're going to have, you know, just a weak, flimsy life. People tell me all the time, man, I feel like I'm coming unglued. I feel like my life's falling apart. And whenever I hear that, it means only one thing. You got a faulty center. Jesus isn't number one anymore. Maybe he's number two, maybe he's number three, but if he's not number one, you're gonna feel like your life's falling apart at times. You're gonna feel like you know, you're, 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 you're coming un, unglued. And a lot of things can become the hub. It could be a person, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. That happens to a lot of singles. You know, they come to church and Jesus is the center of their life and they sing Kumbaya and they give an offering and wow, they really love the Lord, you know. And then they meet, you know, some dude who's a Christian and all of a sudden that, that guy or that gal becomes the center. Or instead of Jesus, others yourself, it becomes others. And Jesus is number two. He just doesn't do very good at number two. And you'll be out of balance. You'll just, you'll just get all messed up. Sometimes it's money. Money becomes the hub of some people's lives. Just want to make more money, you know, whatever. Some people, it's a dream or a goal or a career. That, it, it, Jesus is one of the spokes. But if you really want to have balance in your life, it all begins when Jesus is in the center of your life and you build out from that kind of a thought. So the first thing you need to do if you want to have balance in your life is to build your life on, on Jesus. If you get this one wrong, everything else goes wrong. Forget about what I'm going to say next, okay? But number two, principle number two is this, is you've got to accept the fact that you're human, guys, you got to accept the fact that you're human. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, but we have this treasure. 
the presence of Christ in our lives in jars of clay. Beloved, Paul compares your body to a jar of clay. He doesn't compare your body to uh, titanium. He says you're but a jar of clay. Now, jars of clay have to be handled with great care. If you were made of titanium, man, it didn't matter. Do anything you want. You're titanium. But you're not titanium. You're a jar of clay. And jars of clay have to be handled very carefully because jars of clay can easily break. Jars of clay can easily fall apart. You see, your, your body is more feeble or fragile than you know, which means it needs to be handled with great care. Now, for some of you, it's obvious you don't get this because you live your life as though you're, you, you were made of titanium. That's how you live. You live as if you're, you're unbreakable. The reason some of you are all goofed up and out of balance is because you haven't come to grips with the fact that you're mortal. So you go, 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 and you work, 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 man. And what that means is you're just headed for a, a crash. In fact, some of you are here right now and you've already crashed, haven't you? Some of you have had multiple crashes over your Christian journey because you've never come to the, the realization that you're nothing but a jar of clay. You're not Superman. You're not Iron Man. You're not the Hulk. Bullets don't bounce off your body. You're a, a jar of clay. You're mortal. You're made of flesh and blood. You're human. Listen, the wisest man that ever lived said this, only someone too stupid to find his way home would wear himself out with work. That's not nice. That's just uncool. That hurts my feelings. I hope it does. I hope the Holy Spirit right now is just kidney punching some of you. Because some of you need to be kidney punched by the Holy Spirit right now. In other words, he's saying that it's dumb to wear yourself out with work because if all you do is work, 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 if your life simply revolves around your job, you're basically saying that everything depends on you. You're basically saying that if you don't work, you know, work, 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 or whatever, then, then everything's gonna come crashing down, and it won't. Listen, God's quite capable of taking care of you. If you build your life on him, if you put his kingdom above all else, he promises he'll meet all your needs. And you either believe the word of God to be true or you don't. And I, I, I think it's true. You build your life on him. He'll meet your needs. Here's the bottom line. For some of you, a horrible crash is coming. And the reason why it's coming is because you're not made of titanium. You're mortal. You're a, you're a jar of clay, and jars of clay wear out. 
And if you don't stop and accept your humanity, you're, you're, you're going to crash. Now, let me give you a thought. A person that recognizes their humanity stops trying to pretend that they've got all the answers to life or they can solve everybody's problems or they can meet everybody's needs or they can fulfill everybody's expectations or they can work 80 hours a week, you know, and all of that and not crash and burn or, or whatever. Beloved, accepting your humanity means that you recognize that you have limitations. The reason why some of you are out of balance is because you just haven't figured that out yet. And this brings us to number three, okay? Number two and three kind of go together. Principle number three is, is that you've got to limit how much you'll, you'll work. You've got to limit how much you're going to work each week or whatever. And I know right now, listen, listen I've been here a long time. Right now, there's a whole bunch of spouses, especially gals that are going, yes, thank you, Jesus. Preach it, pastor. Preach it. And this could be true for some ladies. Exodus chapter 20 is where you find the, the great 10 commandments. God said this. This is what God said. God said, remember to observe the Sabbath by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest, dedicated to the Lord your God. It's dedicated to the Lord your God. There's one day that's dedicated to the Lord your God. Not dedicated to your job or your career or the kids or whatever. It's dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. And then God, knowing us as human beings, is going to clarify it. This includes you, your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants. God throws in your livestock because guess what? They're made of flesh and blood too. Any foreigners living among you, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, God rested. <laughs> on the seventh day, God rested. God rested. God, he rested. God took a day off. God. And I know what some of you are thinking. Lazy bum. This guy's lazy. He had one day he could have done something. What's he doing? What's he doing resting? Beloved, the, the word Sabbath simply means day of rest. You, you take one day off every week to rest. Okay? That, that's God's rule. Why is that God's rule? Well, Paul told you. You're, you're, you're a jar of clay. You're, you're not titanium. You're clay. Now, it's somewhat interesting that in the Ten Commandments, God has more to say about taking a day off than he does either, you know, about murder or adultery. In fact, it's so important to God that rest, taking a day off, he puts before don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. That, that shows how serious this is to God. This is important to God. He says, of all the Ten Commandments, he's got more to say about you resting, jar of clay, 
than about anything else. In fact, you know what? I got to get here before I talk about murder and adultery and lying and all those things. I got to get to this one. He starts off with, you know, you'll have no other gods before me. Well, that makes sense. That's the greatest commandment, right? Then he says, hey, don't have an idol. Don't make an idol. Don't worship anything other than me. Well, that goes with the, the whole idea of the greatest commandment. And then he says, whatever you do, don't use my name in vain. My name's holy. That goes with worshiping God, the greatest commandment. And then he says, I want there to be one day, one. Work all you want. There's nothing wrong with work. Working's a good thing. God worked. Work. Yeah, it's a blessing to work. But God says, that I want you to have one day that's different. One day. It's dedicated to me. Go work, 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 work. But one day, you give it to me. One. Now, why is this so important? Why does God want us to rest? Well, listen to what Jesus said in, in uh, Mark chapter 2. And I want you to really pay attention. This is a really weighty passage. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David uh, did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Apathar was the high priest, and he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, listen to this. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the jars of clay. People. And not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Beloved, the reason God wants you to rest is because it's good for you. The, the Sabbath was, was, made to, was made to meet the needs of the people, and that includes you. You have a, a need for rest. Rest is good for you. Let me ask you a question. And just, I just want you to think about this. Take a deep breath, okay? Just think. Do you think having a regular day off would do you some good in your own personal life? You have a regular day off. You think that would be good for you? I know some of you get your 80, 90 hours in a week and you work seven days a week. I just, I just want you to ask yourself a question. Do you think that if you had a regular day of rest that it would do you some good? How about this question? Do you think having a regular day off would, would do your marriage some good? Instead of working seven days, do you think one day you think that would really help foster your, your marriage? Let me ask you this. Do, do, do you think that having a regular day off would, would, would really pump up your kids? You, you think they'd enjoy that? Mom, dad, you know? If you worked hard six days a week, work hard. But one day, they actually saw you? Crazy me asking questions like that. Weird. You see, having a day of rest is for our benefit. 
It's the antidote to burnout. It, it helps prevent stress from building up in our, our lives. Now, let me give you three things that, that uh, your day off is to accomplish. Number one, resting your body. That's what a, a day off is. It, it's to rest the, the, the jar of clay. One is to recharge, two is to recharge your emotions. And number three is to refocus your spirit or to, to worship the Lord and have a special time of worship with, with, with the Lord. Psalms 127 says this, it's senseless for you to work so hard from early in the morning until late at night. It's senseless. It is senseless. Why? God wants his loved ones to get the rest. He wants you to get your rest. Hey, work. Nothing wrong with working. But you really got to limit how much you're, 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 you're going to work. Principle number four, and we're going to start to hustle here. You got to adjust your, your values, and this goes right along. You're going to see how these just kind of flow right together. You have to adjust your values. But one of the great reasons we get out of balance is because our, our values get out of balance, which means you have to do some thinking about what's really important in life. It's, it's easy to begin to major on the minors. And let me tell you something, the church is just famous for this. We, the church sometimes, it, it just starts caring about things that just don't matter. The church, and I'm just talking not, not this one, but just the church in general will start arguing over, you know, things. Really? People are dying and going to hell. There are people hungry under the bridge, and you want to argue that? I don't have time for it. You can just see that the values sometimes just get so messed up in the church and in our own personal lives. The, the Bible says that one of the reasons we overwork is materialism, which is obviously a wrong value. Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, Then I observed that most people are motivated to success. They're motivated to work, 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 work. Because they envy their neighbors. They see what their neighbor has, you know, and they go, oh, man, I'd like to have that. Or they go into their neighbor's house and they see a couch and they go, oh, man, that's kind of a nice couch. Where'd you get that couch at? Really? You got that? Wow. I buy all my stuff at Ikea. It's cheap. You know, it lasts a year, but I got to get me one of those. And then what you do is you do this. You know what? If I just worked a little bit more, I could make a few more sales and I could get that couch. If I just put another day in, whew, I might be able to buy that house with one more bedroom in it. We, we start to see what other people have, and we can become envious of that, and then we go, well, I'll just put a few more hours in, I'll make one more sale, I'll make one more deal, I'll go in, because if I just make a little bit more, and that's materialism, that's, that's the values that have gone wacky. And if you want to have balance in your life, there comes moments when all of us need to adjust those values. Now, Jesus made two really important statements as it relates to this. In Luke chapter 12, he said this, beware, beware. This is the one who we follow. He's telling us, Christians, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, we do that here as humans. We look at what that guy has and where that guy lives and how many cars that guy has and what kind of clothes that guy wears or whatever it is, and we do that, but God doesn't. He doesn't care about that stuff. You're never going to get to heaven, and God's not going to say, hey, man, come here. Man, you had that incredible car collection. Wow. 
I know you didn't know me and I know you didn't like me, but that car collection is so incredible. Come on in. It's in my kingdom, man. Nobody likes cars as much as you do. Now listen, nothing wrong with having a nice house. Nothing wrong with having nice jewelry. Nothing wrong with having a collection of cars. What's wrong is, is what you do to get them. What you sacrifice to get them. I know some of you in this room, God has blessed you with a lot of shekels and praise the Lord for that. There's nothing wrong with having lots of shekels. Nothing wrong with that. A lot of people in the Bible had all kinds of shekels. Wealthy people. Solomon was super wealthy. The warning is, is what you do to get the stuff that you have. What are you sacrificing, you see? Jesus also said this in Matthew 16, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? That's a great question. And then he says, is there anything worth more than your soul? Let me put a modern day spin on it. Men, what good is it for you to become the president of your company, but you lose your kids and your family along the way? You got the corner office, man. You got the big title. You can whip out the card that says you're the president. Woo, I made it. But you're also on your third family. Because to get there, you blew off your kids. You blew off your family. Listen, I'm not here to poke anybody's eye out. I just, if that's you, stop doing that. Don't do it anymore. I don't want to beat you up. Man, the world beats you up enough. But sometimes the word of God just speaks and you got to let it do what it does. It convicts you maybe of your sin. What good does it do if you make it to the top? But your kids really don't want anything to do with you. What good is it? What good is it for a woman to get that career promotion and lose her kids or her husband or whatever? Look, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you truly have received him, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and all that, and you can't, you can't lose your soul if you get all out of balance. You can't do it. And if you know Christ, he's got you in the palm of your hand. But what happens to us as human beings is our, our values can get all out of whack, and then we're never experiencing the life that Jesus wants to have, and we're just all messed up and goofed up. And when you come together in a moment like this, this is for the Holy Spirit to go, oh, boy, I am. I'm reaching for that brass ring, man, and I'm going for that brass ring, and I think I forgot about my kids. I think I, I'm, I'm forgetting about that. And one of the things that we do to justify our, 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 our working hard and all those things is we, we, we say this. Well, you know, I'm doing it for my kids. No, you're not. You're doing it for your own ego. Don't, don't put that monkey on your kid's back. Your kids will take, uh, uh, would rather live in a one-room shanty and have you than having you reaching for the brass ring and you got it all. But your kid's now 22. If you want to go for the brass ring, just recognize it's you. Don't, don't, well, I'm doing this for my kids. No, no, no don't. you don't do it for your kids because your kids want you. That's what they want. That's what they want. 
The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. It's a beautiful verse. He says, better to have one handful, one handful of stuff, and yet have contentment and peace in your life than to have two handfuls of stuff. Woo! But you lose all the contentment and peace. You got more stuff. You got more things. But you lost a whole lot along the way. That's beautiful advice. That, you know, people say, oh, the Bible's old. It's irrelevant. It's the 21st century, you know. This book is so applicable today, it's unbelievable, especially in our country. Listen, listen to me. Some of you got to adjust your values and go, you know what? I, I could have this, or this is what I'm going for. I think I'm just going to go with this and have peace and contentment, my family, all those things. It's okay. It's okay. See, because you can have this. The illustration doesn't in there. I know people have this, but they're going for more. They got, it's like they got 12 hands. They're like octopuses. <laughs> Two ain't enough. I got three hands. I got four hands. I got one more stuff. And they just keep working and working and working. Look, I've been at the death side of, you know, people who have died, hospitals, homes. I've never had someone look up at me, their dying breath. Pastor, I wish I'd have made one more sale. <clears throat> that's, that's weird. It just doesn't happen. No one does that. But I'll tell you what. I can't tell you how many people who have said, man, pastor, I wish I'd have spent more time with my kids. I wasn't at the deathbed when Ken died. He walked with God a long time, loved the Lord. If he could have spoke, I know what he would have said. Even though he had a deep, deep walk with God, he would have said, pastor, I wish I'd have made more time to be with Jesus. I wish I'd have spent more time with my kids, my grandkids. Everybody says that. Even those that have a deep walk with God, even those that have their values together. Because that's what matters. Principle number five. You've got to nourish your inner life. I want you to listen to this verse, because this is just going to, some of you are going to go, wow, you've got to be kidding me. I've never seen that before. It says this in Song of Solomon chapter one. Don't look down on me because of my color, the color of my skin, because the sun has tanned me. My brothers were angry with me, and they made me work in the vineyard. They, they just kept me busy, busy, busy. And it, then it says this. I had no time to care for myself. I had no time to nourish my inner soul. Haven't we all felt like that at some moment? In this case, you know, uh, 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 the brothers were angry, and so they just kept this person going and going and going, and so they didn't have any time for themselves. Sometimes you, it could be your employer. Oh, I need you to work another day. I need you to put in 10 more hours. I need you to do whatever. Sometimes it can be your children who, who you're masters to them. I need to go here. Yes, yes, yes. And so they just keep you busy running around doing all these things and you don't have any time for yourself. There's lots of ways we get to the point in our lives where we go, I don't have any time for myself. 
And when you don't have any time for yourself, you can't be nourishing your soul because you don't have any time for yourself. And if you want to have balance in your life, you got to make the time that you might be able to nourish your soul. You know, I believe that when God put his Holy Spirit into your life, he, he, he gave you some sort of uh, inner passion, inner fire. And what happens is, is that if you don't make any time for yourself, that passion, that inner fire would just kind of die out. I want to take us back to the second greatest commandment, and that was this. Jesus said this, love your neighbor as the only way you can really love yourself is when you make time for yourself. The reason why some of you have a hard time fulfilling the second greatest commandment is because you haven't made time for yourself. So you don't love yourself. So how can you love others? You don't even really want to love others. And sometimes that includes your spouse. Sometimes that includes your kids. And by the way, for those of you that are new and visiting, that word love there, love other, love other people as you love yourself, isn't a narcissistic love, you know, who ain't I cool? It isn't that, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying this, you, you're to love other people the way you love yourself. You're to meet their needs the way you met your own need. For instance, I loved myself so much today that I had a need for food. So I met that need. I love myself. I need food. And Jesus says you need to do that. You need to feed yourself. Just don't stop there. Love other people. Make sure other people have stuff to eat. Hey, I loved myself to the degree that I put some clothes on, right? I needed to stay warm. I need to stay cool. Whatever that might be. And Jesus says you need to do that. Love yourself. Just don't stop there. Love others the way you love yourself. Make sure others have clothes, jackets, food. That's why we do what we do here. That's why we have good Sam and all that we do because God's word mandates that we care about others. It doesn't matter whether they're believers or not. They're made in the image of God for crying out loud. Jesus Christ hung on a cross for people. That's how much he loved them. And I can't make sure that they have a coat on. I can't make sure they have food. He gave his life up for people. And then he says, I want you to love others the way you love yourself. And here's the problem. If you don't make time for yourself, you can't love yourself. You can't do it. And then what happens, everything just kind of falls apart after that. So how do you nourish your soul? Well, King David said this. King David said, I will delight in your decrees, and I won't forget about your word. King David says, I will delight in your decrees, in a New Testament sense. I will love the word of God. Well, let me tell you something. You can't love the decrees of God. You cannot love God's word if you don't make time for it. The reason why King David was known as a man after God's own heart was because he made time for himself, that he would have the time to love his decrees. And some of you are so busy, you're so, you know, you don't have time to love God's decrees, his word. Look, if you're finding the inner fire that God has put within you is, is dying out or whatever, the only thing that's going to reignite it is to get back in contact with God. 
He's the only one that can begin to warm up your heart again. Some of you live as if it's your job that keeps your inner fire going. Some of you act as if your hobby keeps your inner fire going. Some of you act as if, you know, your family keeps your inner fire going. Some of you act as if your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you know, can keep the inner fire going. Those things can keep a fire going, but not the inner fire. In, in Chuck Swindoll's book, Growing Strong Through the Seasons, many of you have read it, he tells the story of going to this beautiful home where there was this gorgeous fireplace with a wood mantle over the fireplace, and he could see that somebody had carved these, these, these words into this wooden mantle. And so he went up to see what it said, and this is what it said. If your heart is cold, my flames cannot warm you. The flames of a fire can warm your skin, but the flames of that fire cannot reignite and warm your heart, that inner passions that God has given you. Hey, your family can do something in your life. Your job can do something. You know, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, all those things can do something. But the only thing that will reignite the fire in your life is when you nourish your souls. You make time for it. Jesus said, people don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The Bible says this about Jesus in Luke chapter 5, but Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and he prayed. <laughs> if, if Jesus made time to be with the Father, it's pretty safe to say that we need to do the same thing, don't we? See, the reason why some of us are out of balance is we just haven't made time so that the Lord could re-energize our souls. Jesus had to do it. Why do you think you don't have to do it? Isn't that weird? Principle number six, and I'm, I'm going to fly. Number six is you got to commit your, your daily schedule to, to, to God. And let me tell you why this is important, real quick. Man. If you're like me, I, I, I have a to-do list. I always have these to-do lists, and my wife will tell you, I, I don't use any of the smart devices. I, I'm old school. I've got, you know, sticky, note yellow pads. I'm old school. And so every day, <laughs> to-do list. One, two, three, four. And then when I finish up my to-do list, poof, got another one. Always got a list of things I, gotta get, I want, want to do. <laughs> I'm sure I'm the only guy like that. But let me just, I want you to understand a great theological truth. Your flesh, Paul said no good dwells in it. The Bible says that your flesh is, in, uh, is diametrically opposed to anything that's biblical. Your flesh doesn't want to do anything that God wants. Nothing, nothing. So when you sit down and you figure out your little to-do list, hey, I gotta do this today, I gotta do this today, I wanna do this today. Your flesh is gonna make sure there isn't anything on that list that somehow will bring you closer to God, that will nourish your soul, that'll build your life around, you know, on Jesus Christ, that'll help you see about your humanity, that'll have to be about limiting your work because it's in diametric opposition to what God wants. That's why when you get up, you need to say, Lord, okay, what is it you have for me today? God, what is it? What is it? And you gotta nourish your soul. 
And you got to say, God, I, I, I got, I'm going to have to sleep for about eight hours. I got, you know, you gave me a wife. You gave me a husband and children, so I got to spend some time with them. You know, he, he could have kept you single, but he didn't. So obviously, he, he wants your kids and your spouse to be important. I, gotta, I got that. I got that I got to do. So I got so much time to work here. What do you want from me today, Lord? What do you want? And if you don't have that moment, I guarantee you, your, your to-do list will get loaded up with good things. If all we had to choose was between good and evil, that'd be easy. Life would be easy. Satan's better than that. And what Satan does is he makes us choose between what's good and what the very best is. You're all smart enough. Oh, I'm going to do this evil thing or this good thing. You know the difference between good and evil. Satan will load up your to-do list with a bunch of good things, but they're not the best things. And that's why you need to commit your, your schedule to him. And last but not least, you, 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 you have to enjoy the life that God has given you. And one of the things I've noticed about us believers is at times we, we, just, we just don't enjoy the life we have. And it might be because we're unwilling to build our lives around Jesus. It could be because we're unwilling to accept our humanity. It might be because we're unwilling to limit our work hours. It might be because we're unwilling to adjust our, our values. It might be because we're just unwilling to nourish our souls. It, it might be because we're unwilling to commit our schedules over to God. I, I don't know what the reasons are, but too often, we as believers aren't enjoying this life. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy. Paul said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God has given you all that you have, your spouse, your children, your church family. Whatever it is, and I don't know what it is. I don't know what God has given you. But he gave that to you for your enjoyment. And God wants us to enjoy those things. Look, uh, everybody stand up. And this is what I want to do, because I'm out of time here. Over in the venue, I want you to stand up, okay? And I want to say these seven things out loud together, okay? So get looser, get your lungs all ready to go. Here we go. Let's say them out loud together. Number one. Build your life around Jesus Christ. Number two, accept the fact that you're human. Number three, limit how much work you'll do each week. Number four, adjust your values. Number five, nourish your inner life. Number six, commit your schedule to God. And number seven, enjoy the life God has given you. Now, now listen to me. If you'll do those seven things, you know what you got? You got balance. You got balance. Now, I don't know which of those you need to work on. I don't know. I know which ones I have to always work on. I had my car fixed the other day, and they showed me my tires. And there were some places that were beautiful. And then I had, like, bald spots. And I said, how'd that happen? I, was just get, I just wanted my engine checked. And why you, I didn't want you to look at my tires. <laughs> and I thought they had a file or something. That's what they, I know what two mechanics do. And they're filing down my, and he said, well, your, your tires aren't balanced. And I went, dude, isn't that weird? How my tires aren't balanced and all that stuff. The tread doesn't burn off 
the way it's supposed to or whatever. I don't know which one of those you got to work on. I know which ones I got to work on. But I think if you did take these seven things, you could find great balance in your life. Why don't you close your eyes, and as you do, I just want to remind you that the welcome or the, uh, the, the altar room is always open. The spiritual leaders of our church are there to pray with you, listen to you, whatever it is you need. And if you're here and you'd like to know a little bit more about our trip to Israel, make your way over to the, the, the choir room, and I'll be in there to, to, to just walk through some things with you, okay? Scott, would you, would you close our time?